The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. My aim this morning is that you might worship and that you might have a renewed resolve. May we worship God by standing in awe at the sovereign grace by which we have been called to Christ through the gospel. I mean, that was 2,000 years ago. And the gospel still running and called you and called me by faithful believers who spoke the gospel to us. A camp counselor spoke the gospel to me and, and, and I believed and the Bible came alive and I don't know who spoke the gospel to her but just think of the chain by which the gospel has come to you. Just stand in worship that the gospel has come to us through Christ by the witness and teaching of the apostles such as Paul and believers through the ages who have faithfully spoken, proclaimed the gospel to others over and over and again. Countless times through the ages. Just, just be amazed that the gospel came to you and you believe and you're saved. This, that's just one story of a gospel carrier. <laughs> and then the other thing is, may we resolve to lean in with, with, with our whole being, all the means that God has given us to faithfully advance the gospel personally and corporately, both in and outside the church, to others. And, and, and I, I just come away from the book of Acts with a, 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 a desire that we as Bethlehem downtown have a renewed resolve, a renewed commitment, a renewed value of the gospel work, the work of missions, and the work of evangelism locally. So let me pray toward that end. Father in heaven, do it, I pray. Grant us to worship you for your sovereign grace by which the gospel has come to us, the news of Christ, and uh, grant us an engagement, a renewed resolve to engage in gospel telling personally and a resolve to support with all that we can the work of global missions around the world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is the last sermon in our series on the book of Acts, which began in November of 2020. And we had a gap for, we had a break for the, actually for Advent and then the book of Colossians. But, and as we've seen, the latter part of Acts that uh, has these narratives that get longer and longer. And so it seemed acceptable to us to take larger sections. And, uh, and then we, we called an audible, we being the elders, that rather than finishing Acts at the end of August, we'd squinch it into the end of July. And uh, it, it seems acceptable um, because, like I said, the narratives are long. I mean, our account this morning is Paul's journey from, from uh, just north of Jerusalem to Rome. 
That's what it was. It just takes two chapters to tell the story. And uh, so that's one reason it seemed acceptable. But the other reason is, is we wanted to uh, turn our attention to the fall. So I'm going to tell you what's coming up. Uh, next week, August 7th, I'm going to preach on some text that I don't know yet that I'm asking God to give me to, to speak to us as we think about the, the transition to three campuses. So pray for me. The following week, Mark, one of our global partners, will be preaching. And then uh, August 21st, I'll begin a series. I'll say more about this tonight. But a series for the fall, kind of looking to align us on who we are and what we're about as, as a local church, as Bethlehem downtown. And the theme will be, Be Strengthened by Grace, from 2 Timothy verse 1. So that's where we're going. So last week, Zach Howard covered the previous two chapters in which the Apostle Paul spoke the gospel to the governor of of Judea and the king of Judea, both being Jewish vassals uh, under the thumb of Rome and being found innocent there, not wanting to be sent back to Jerusalem, he appealed to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, that was his right and And to appeal to Caesar is like to appeal to the Supreme Court of the known world. The Supreme Court all being embodied in one person. (laughs) The emperor. Caesar. So that's where we are. Now, now we join Paul on the journey from Caesarea, just north of Jerusalem, all the way to Rome. If, if, if you look at, you, you can see this on a map if you have a study Bible. I mean, the journey, I have a red line right in front of me here. Um, the journey extends from, from Israel, what we think of as Israel, past Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. It's going west through the Mediterranean, past Cyprus, past Crete, and then to Sicily, just below the boot of Italy where the shipwreck happens. And then they restart travel up to the boot of Italy and travel by land the last 200 miles after having traveled 2,000 miles by sea. It's quite a journey. Now Paul, no, one more thing. Many scholars pretty much are settled that this, this voyage took place in A.D. 59 in October and uh, because Paul dates it with the Jewish festivals, or excuse me, Luke dates it with the Jewish festivals. And Paul, along with the other prisoners, it says, is under the charge of a Julius, this Roman centurion, who doesn't seem to treat Paul like a dangerous criminal, because he's not. But he is a Roman citizen, and, and Julius's kindness is seen throughout this account as he allows Paul, he allows Paul access to his friends and, and uh, even... <laughs> takes Paul's advice and, uh, and such and saves his life a few times. So the, the ship initially set sail with a, this gentle breeze kind of sending them south and west and those breezes quickly turned against them. Here we go. They sailed to a port of Myra and they changed ships there. Jumping on a ship that was headed all the way to Italy 
And they continued to sail west and encountered more difficulty. Verse 7, as the wind did not allow us to go farther. And so ever so slowly they made progress west until they hit this port called Fair Havens. It's, a, it's, a, it's not a great port to winter in. It's just like a, a stopping place. The winter's coming. It's October. And, and it's like everybody, all the sailors know you don't sail. October, no, you don't sail in the winter. And yet sail they, they do. And, you know, since this was Paul's first voyage, I think if I count right, this is his seventh voyage. He's already been shipwrecked three times. It's like, he knows how to play this game. (laughs) Perhaps more than some of the crew. Realizing the voyage was treacherous, being so late in the season, going against these headwinds, in verse 10, Paul speaks up and says to the captain and the centurion and the owner of the ship, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. And, and they listen to him like, like the guy in the back of the economy class of the airplane talking to the pilot. Yeah, 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 blah, 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 Mr. Know-it-all. They don't listen to him in ex- ignoring his advice. They, they want to get to this better port to winter in, some 40 miles west. Somehow get there. It's the island of Crete. And, and the harbor there is called, I get a kick out of this, Phoenix. And I think who wouldn't want to get to Phoenix to spend the winter? <sighs> so they set sail. The first day from Fair Havens seemed to go well, but then verse 14 tells us a tempestuous wind called a northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. And if you boated or canoed, it is a bad thing when your bow is not cutting the waves that are coming at you this way. And when your canoe, this is Boundary Waters talk, turn sideways, your canoe is going like this. And so that's the image that I get of this little, not little, it's a good-sized boat, being tossed back and forth and back and forth. So now the ship is no longer under the control of the pilot, the captain, but under God's sovereign control at the mercy of the hurricane force winds being blown sideways and being threatened with being capsized or run aground at any moment. It's it's out of control. That's day one. Day two. On the second day, being violently tossed about by the wind and the sea, listing to and fro, the crew began to throw the ship's cargo overboard to keep it from running aground. Day three, they they threw the ship's tackle overboard. 
The storm continued violently with no reprieve, day and night, giving no opportunity to navigate. They navigate off the stars, off the sun. Day three. Luke tells us that, that those on board were in despair. This is verse 20. All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. But an angel of the Lord brought a message to Paul at night, and Paul spoke that message to, to, to the crew. Paul says, this is verse 21, chapter 27. Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of God, or an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So Paul said to the, to the crew and the centurion, So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. So I just push back right there. I, I have read the, the last chapters of Acts a whole bunch of times. But I, I've had two weeks to soak in it. <laughs> and God has pulled me in. I'm on the boat. With you. We're on the boat with our troubles and storms. And this is so encouraging to me. And so like God in his faithfulness to us in Christ. Time after time, when we who are chosen and holy and loved in Christ are right at the brink of losing our hope, God has a word for us. God has a word for us. And it's probably not from an angel. It could, it could be. But straight from the word or through a brother or a sister, God speaks a word to us. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, plans for your good, give you a future and a hope. Do not fear. I'm with you. I'll never fail you. I'll never forsake you. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. I've not destined you for wrath, but to obtain salvation that we might live forever with Christ. I mean, God has a word for us as a people, for you and for me and our particulars. God has a word for us in our storms. And one phrase, actually it's two words, the two words that are mentioned twice in the message from the angel, take heart, take heart, chin up. 
God's got a good plan. Now it's the 14th day. No let up. I mean, it's hard to imagine night and day, you know, in the dark and in the rain. It's just hard to imagine. The crew did what they could to prepare to approach land without running aground, which would likely tear the ship to pieces. And remarkably, Paul, the prisoner, <laughs> I think strengthened by the revelation of God, you're going to be okay. He begins to take charge. He's the prisoner, right? It's crazy. He begins to take charge. You know, uh, what is it? Uh, he... he uh, he says, you know, he says to the centurion, don't let those sailors drop that lifeboat because if they do, they're going to die. So the centurion says, stop, let the boat go, stay on board. And then, then Paul says, look, if God is saving us from this storm and we haven't eaten for 14 days, it's time to eat because God did not, is not saving us from the storm in order to starve to death <laughs> or in order to Drowned for lack of strength for the shipwreck that's coming. So just, uh, and then, it, so then after Paul, you know, kind of takes charge, keeping everybody on the boat, telling them to eat. Verse 25, and, and when he had said these things, he took bread and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Thanksgiving to God, let's eat. And when all, Paul, uh, Luke tells us the number of people on board, when all 276 people had eaten, they threw the remainder of the grain into the sea in preparation for making land. Verse 37 and 38. And sighting a beach, they let go of the anchors, hoisted the sail, presuming to run aground on the beach, but the ship struck. Uh, reef. Uh, you got to get the picture. So the, the bow the, stops moving and the sails are pushing the ship forward in the wind. And the ship begins to break apart. And the waves keep pounding. So it's time to abandon ship. Some of the soldiers realize what's going to happen as the ship is breaking up, and they think, look, no, we could be punished by death if these prisoners on board escape, so let's kill them all. So we can say, none of them escaped. We just killed them all. When we, and, and Julius steps in right here to save Paul and the other prisoners, instructing everybody, swim for your lives. And if you can't swim, grab a chunk of this boat that's falling apart. Verse 44, all 276 people on board, you know, the soldiers, the captain, the businessmen, the slaves, the prisoners, the apostle, Luke, and his friends were brought safely to land. So there you have it. There's the, there's, there's the midway, the midpoint. <laughs> now they came to realize that they were on the island of Malta, Again, just, just south of the boot of Italy. And the native people there, you know, I don't know, you know, I, what happens when you show up on shore unscheduled? Like, are the natives going to 
but the native people welcome the soggy, tired guests and light a bonfire. And when Paul, you, know, you catch the, the impression, Paul, Paul's pitching in just like everybody else. So we're collecting firewood. He's out there collecting firewood. Now bundles it up. He puts a bundle of wood on the fire and, and a viper jumps out. It says because of the fire and bit him and wouldn't let go. And, you know, I take it, you know, cold-blooded creatures kind of slow down, <laughs> slow down in cold weather. We were in Florida last, last January and, the, and the, was it the geckos that were falling out of the tree? It was so cold. They were like, they couldn't, they couldn't move very good. But you warm them up and they're, they're pretty good. And so I take it, the fire warmed up the snake and so it's, it's on Paul here. Uh, the natives infer, okay, no doubt this man is a murderer. This is chapter 28, verse 4. Though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. They have their own theology of divine justice. And, you know, just push back and praise God for the gospel. They were wrong that divine justice would break out and kill Paul for his sins because divine justice has already been satisfied in the death of Christ for us. (laughs) Paul is... Forgiven, clean, no condemnation for him in Christ. No fear of getting snake bit. Because it's not going to be about God's judgment. No, no snake bite, no, no illness, no suffering, no trouble of any kind can be construed as God's judgment for Paul or any of us as believers. We live in the freedom of forgiveness and justification through Christ Jesus. And, and so, you know, Paul, what you ought to see in this is, is, you know, the snake is not a problem for Paul, live or die, not judgment. But also, note the preservation of Paul's life in order that he might finish his God-ordained task. You're going to Caesar. Shipwreck, snake bite, not a problem. (laughs) God says, I'm going. I'm going. Praise God for his providence. Verse 28, uh, chapter 28, 5. Paul shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm and They, the natives, were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Well, that didn't help. I'm sure Paul went after that. So they waited the winter on Malta for three months. And it's interesting, you know, you know, I don't know how much hospitality you can receive, you know, when 270 people show up in your island. <laughs> but it, it worked. And I, and I even think that Paul's grace in healing the father of the chief of the natives was a piece of winning their favor. In fact, it says that all kinds of the Maltese people came to Paul for healing. And so this is a welcome bunch of visitors that interrupted their winter. And in return, the, the, the people of Malta blessed the castaways 
when it was time for them to depart Malta and continue the journey to Rome. This is verse 10. The people honored us greatly, and we were about to, and when we were about to set sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Isn't that great? So, Paul and the centurion and Luke hopped on a ship that was that had wintered on that island, was heading to Italy, and they traveled up toward uh, the Italian. They, they traveled up off the Italian coast, and then and then went into land for the for the last two hundred miles. And and what was a this was a grace, you know. I'm, I, Paul, when, when Paul was taking that offering for Jerusalem, this has always struck me. And, and maybe this will land on you like it landed on me. You know, you do something kind to somebody, you minister to somebody, you don't know how it's going to be received. Paul was taking that offering from all the churches, and he, 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 he says, pray that it might be received. I like that. Don't presume. And so I think it was a huge encouragement and blessing to Paul that as he's going toward Rome on land, believers from Rome come down as far as 40 miles down to greet Paul and say, you're here, welcome to Rome. The letter arrived three three miles, three years before the letter to the Romans. And their welcome is proof. It was received. They read it, and they not only read it, but they believed it, and they are welcoming. That's just so encouraging, I think. Verse 28, 15. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Upon Paul's arrival in Rome, he's put under house arrest with the freedom of visitors and friends being able to come and go. Archaeologists actually think they've located the place where Paul's house arrest took place in Rome, and it maps out like right in the middle of the city between the Forum and the, and the Pantheon. True to Paul's pattern, you know what he does when he gets to a city. What does he do? He preaches the gospel to the Jews. That's what he did. He invites the local Jewish leaders to come, his own people he wants to bring the gospel to, and he he learns from them that they've heard nothing negative about him. You're like, what have you heard about me? (laughs) Nothing negative. They've only heard that Christianity was a Jewish sect, and Paul explains his arrest in Jerusalem and his innocence um, against Judaism and against Rome, and, and he begins to say, you know, like, let me tell you about this gospel. In verse 22, the leaders reply, we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everyone is, in everywhere it is spoken against. And, and that this is the last glimpse of Paul in Acts. A great number of Jews return to Paul's cell, house, arrest, place. Verse 23, and from morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, 
but others disbelieved. Verse 25, and disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. Paul's not shy. Paul's not timid. You know, he prays for boldness. He's got boldness. So, So he's seeing some of the Jewish people, Jewish leaders, believing in Christ, the Messiah, and some disbelieving. And he goes to Isaiah with a word to the disbelieving. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but you'll never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Paul says, Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. So Acts ends with Paul under house arrest, spending the next two years proclaiming the gospel to all who would come. Verse 30. And he lived there whole two years at his own expense and welcomed all who came proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, you know, Acts ends, and and my first reaction was, what about Paul? <laughs> he just, it ends with him in jail, right? He's under house arrest. And you know my thought? Acts, Acts wasn't about Paul. Acts wasn't about Peter. Acts really isn't about the church. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Acts is about the spread of the gospel of Jesus, starting from Jerusalem all the way to Rome. When you read the word Gentiles, just say nations. All the way to Rome to the nations of the world. That's the note being struck at the end of Acts. Three closing thoughts. Just, I've said it already. Number one, the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all nations. This ending underscores that. That this hardening, this partial hardening that Isaiah foretells and Paul speaks to the hardened Jewish people is explained in Romans eleven twenty five. actually 9 through 11, chapters 9 through 11 of Romans. But eleven twenty five is a good summary. It says, A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. Get it? So what's the point of this hardening of Israel that Paul just ended the book of Acts with? 
It's the invitation and call of God to all the nations to believe Jesus Christ through the gospel. That's what it's about. Just a word about Paul. Many New Testament scholars find reason to believe that after these two years, Paul was released and got to do what he so desired to do, preach the gospel in the furthest edge of the west of the known world, which was Spain. And then after preaching the gospel there, he returned to Rome, where when persecution of Christians broke out under Nero, who falsely blamed Christians for the burning of Rome in the year 64, Paul was arrested and beheaded. He gave his life that the gospel would go to all peoples, all nations. Takeaway number two, closing comment number two. That's where I started. Praise and worship God for his sovereign saving grace at work in this world all the way through the centuries to you. Just, wow. Praise God. He's sovereign. They worked all these details of history. I mean, many people gave their lives to bring the gospel to us. In his providence, the gospel continues and will not cease until the Lord Jesus returns, penetrating every tribe and tongue. Just stand in, in awe of the saving, sovereign grace of God in the gospel. And, and lastly, resolve. I hope and pray that you and me in Bethlehem downtown have a strengthened resolve to join God in his exaltation of Christ through the spreading of the gospel in this world near and far. And that, that you know, I think about the transitions that we're in and, you know, how's this going to work? I, I, just, I just pray that, that God would give us grace and resolve to, to be engaged in the great global work at great sacrifice of time and money and talents for the sake of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, our Savior and our Lord. Yeah, I, I, I close with this image. You know, the question's really not, you know, this is, I'm pulling this from the feeding of the 5,000. Like, how much do you have? I got, I got five loaves and I got two fishes. <laughs> Give them to Jesus, and what does he do? He feeds 5,000 people with them. So may it be so in our commitment to the global work. We, we give and offer up what we have, and we look to God to multiply the work for the glory of his name in spreading the gospel here, near, and far. Father in heaven, Thanks so much for your word. I just come to love this last journey from Israel to Rome. 
And I pray that from this text that you would feed our worship and strengthen our resolve for the global work. May we take heart in your providential, sovereign, saving, gracious ways with us. You move in a mysterious way, and ours is to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.